I heard actually a great sermon uh, this week that I really wish that I could preach to you, but the good news is if you were here last week, it already was preached to you. So Pastor John rocked it last week, and I was really um, not only thankful that uh, he could do that and step in, but that it was so good. So, um, you know, just to reiterate that, if, if every, every if in our lives holds the potential for God to use us to encourage, comfort, love, and help others, and we can hear God's voice and join in in what the Holy Spirit is doing. I think that's a message we need to remember. So, And it also prepares, I think, us for what God wants to do in our hearts today. So let's pray real quick and we'll get started. God, thank you for this moment. Yet once again, that we have to be here with you. And I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would teach us uh, like only you can, that you would prepare us for what you want to say and uh, that you would help the things to stick that you uh, need to do in our lives. I'm so thankful for each person that's here, God, and I know that that is not an accident. It's not luck. It's not providence. It's not any, I mean, it's you. You are the reason that we're all here. And so we believe that because we're all here, that there's something that you want to do that we all need to be a part of. So God, thank you for this church, and I pray that you do only what you can. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start the new year by digging into the book of Isaiah, in case you didn't see that big word on the screen. Isaiah is what I call one of the places of agreement in the Bible. And I just made that up to describe this. It's the first time I've ever used it, but that's what I call this. It's a place of agreement. Isaiah, um, it seems, is everyone's favorite prophet. He is cited more than any other prophetic text in rabbinic literature. And more of the half Torah, which if you don't know what those are, those are the readings that, that, go, uh, that are read during synagogue services to support what's being taught, more selections from the, um, Isaiah's book than any of the other prophets that are read publicly in the synagogue each week. Isaiah is also one of the major proof texts for Judaism's main beliefs, beliefs that you're probably familiar with, right? Belief in the Messiah, the centrality of Jerusalem and God's plan, and then, of course, economic and social justice. Uh, not surprising, then, that Isaiah is also one of the most quoted prophets by the writers of the New Testament. Jesus quotes from Isaiah a lot. And that makes a lot of sense, of course, because Isaiah talks more about the coming Messiah than any other prophet. And if you were here during Advent, you heard Isaiah read probably lots of times. You've probably seen scriptures from Isaiah on Christmas cards because of his messianic prophecies. Another thing that's cool to me, at least, if you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Isaiah is one of the largest and best preserved of the original seven Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in Qumran in 1947. It's the oldest of all of the biblical scrolls from that collection. And it's also the only one that's almost all complete. Now, you might be saying, well, why is that important to me? Here's why that's important. Because this scroll, when they found it, it actually demonstrates the authenticity and the reliability of scripture because when they compared it to what had been passed down from generations, they discovered that they were almost exactly the same, which is pretty cool, right? That's pretty neat. So we can trust this word. If the book of Isaiah has a message that was important then, a message that was important to Jesus, right? 
a message that was important to others who have shaped our faith, then I believe that it has a message for us. And so we're going to explore that over the next few weeks. The message of Isaiah is the message of the entire Bible, and it can be summed up by the meaning in his name. Isaiah in Hebrew is Yeshiyahu, which means Yahweh or God is salvation. And that's what the book is all about. So as a prophet, Isaiah stands at the crossroads of Israel's history. Let's look at the first verse in the first chapter. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah was a prophet during the rule of four different kings. And the people of uh, God's people had enjoyed the riches of divine goodness during the reigns of Isaiah and Jotham, but it had not brought them to reflection or to repentance. So they put their trust in things like people, right? People or riches or military alliances, foreign powers and idols. And as a result, their hearts wandered away from God. It's kind of this reoccurring theme in scripture, isn't it? So God calls the prophet Isaiah to speak to the people on his behalf. And here's how it starts. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. What do you think of when you hear the word prophet? Like what comes to mind? Power? Anyone else? Any? Visions? Foreseeing, right? Messenger, what was that? Back there? I didn't hear you. Divination. Right, all these things, right? We, a lot of times, when I think about a prophet, at least if I let my mind wander a little bit, right? It's like this eccentric sort of weird man or woman who use all sorts of mysterious and arcane methods to foretell the future. They blow in like a storm to drop some knowledge of God and then, ooh, they're gone, right? Like these are the things, the visions, the things that we imagine when we think of prophets a lot of times. And there are many predictions of the future in the book of Isaiah. Many that have happened, right? The downfall and the exile of Israel and the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, our Redeemer. Those are just a couple of them, right? And then there's others that have yet to be fulfilled. The messianic age, a perfect world of shalom, peace, completeness, and wholeness. At least looking around, I don't think that one's happened yet, right? So prophets do predict the future at times, but their predictions and their challenges are always in line with what God has already commanded or what God has already promised. And I think that's really important for us to remember as we look at this book. Anything that they say, anything that they do, anything that they challenge the people to, it's gonna be in line with something that God's already said. They're just like reminders. It's like a reminder. They're showing up saying, hey, by the way, just want you to know, remember when God said this? More often, prophets actually spoke the truth into a situation that they observed or something that was at hand that was already happening on behalf of God. And so he makes it clear at the very beginning here, God speaking through Isaiah by proclaiming this truth to his people saying, listen, your actions are not bringing you closer to me because that's his desire. But they're drawing you further and further away and there will be consequences 
if you continue. Doesn't that sound like a parent, right? Listen, your actions are drawing you further away from me. And if you continue, there will be consequences. But then also like the good father that he is, but don't give up hope because I love you and I am faithful to my promises. And we'll get to that in just a second. So here in verses two and three, just to recap, he's like, listen up guys. Listen, the way that you're living is unnatural. The ox and the donkey who only act out of instinct, they get it. They know. They know who's boss. But not my very own beloved people who should know better. We move on to verse four. Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They've forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about like our status as believers, if you remember that. Through this gift that we've been given through God's grace, through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We're given this opportunity, this status as God's kids, right? And here too, we have God's children, God's chosen people, but he's saying, listen, you are not living like you're my children. And it's really interesting here in verse four, there are these four nouns of privilege and status that God gave to his people at various times. Uh, A unique nation, the redeemed people, the offspring, which is uh, the word that's used for the line of descent that came from Abraham. And then of course, children or the Lord's sons, it would be in a literal sense. But what's really interesting is each of these things are coupled with four descriptions of the lost ideal a sinful nation, continuing to miss God's target, loaded with guilt, carrying the burden of corruption of character and nature, offspring of evildoers. Their nature is now of those who commit evil. And then lastly, given to corruption, spoiling and ruining everything. Why? Because they're separated from God. That's why. That's why these things are happening. At the height of their privilege to know the Lord in the fullness of his holy nature, they've turned their backs on God and they've reverted actually to what they were prior to their redemption when God freed them from slavery, from Egypt. They're reverting back to that nature and God's concerned. Another interesting thing here is the title of Holy One of Israel is really only used a couple of other places in scripture, but here in Isaiah, he uses it 25 times. And Holy One of Israel expresses this paradox, this paradox that we have this awesome, mighty, sovereign creator who chooses to enter into this relationship with specific, ordinary, created human people. And as we continue to look at this in verses five through eight, God makes it clear that resisting this gift of grace and mercy will only lead to destruction. He says, you're sick from top to bottom in your heart and in your head, and you're not going to be able to fix this or heal it on your own. And while Israel is filled with internal conflict, violence and war are coming. The foreign empires you trusted more than the Holy One of Israel will turn against you. 
And instead of enjoying the status of being my glorious, beautiful, exalted people, you'll be lucky to have a tarp-covered shack in your own city. My paraphrase, of course. God goes on to say, the only difference between you and Sodom and Gomorrah is that this time I preserved survivors. Wow. And then God offers what I'm calling a sick burn through Isaiah. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. It's like, listen up. You're not just citizens of the worst cities ever, but you're the leaders of those cities. Now, anytime we read scripture, there are some questions that we have to always ask if we want to do this the way that we're supposed to, if we want to understand a passage. So we always have to ask, who is this written to? And what was the context of that writing? Like, what, was, what did it mean to that people in that day? And that's always where we start, okay? Because it's really easy to take things and extrapolate them and put them on our own time when they were never intended to apply to our time. And a lot of what Isaiah's talking about here has already happened. Uh, God's people didn't listen. Uh, foreign invaders came in. In fact, it wasn't even Assyria who was the power at that time. Isaiah totally calls it. He's like, no, it's going to be Babylon. And Babylon was not even a world power. It's pretty amazing how accurate Isaiah was. Of course, God's amazing and that's why it happened. So a lot of these things have already happened. Isaiah holds this specific message for God's people in this time when judgment was coming for a country that would not listen. And while it may be very easy for us to try and extrapolate that and say that that's the same case for us, I don't know that I'd go that far, but here's what I would say. I'd say one of the things that the Bible makes clear is that humans are fallen and flawed, and that has not changed. So no matter how advanced our civilizations become, we tend to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. So if we can learn from that lesson, if we can learn from this lesson, we can, right? We can learn this lesson if we will listen. But the good news is that God never abandons us. And that's true from beginning of the end of Bible, from then till now and into the future. God will not abandon us. He does not change. God is faithful forever. So while there may be consequences to sin and rebellion, I would suggest that there are always consequences to sin and rebellion. We find our hope in Jesus. We sang about that this morning. But we only find that hope if we're willing to listen. So back in ye olden times, 1993, <laughs> I even wrote it in my notes, times, T-Y-M-E, ye olden times. That's not really funny. So... I was a student at William Jewell College in 1993, and uh, this lovely woman over here agreed to marry me. I still am dumbfounded by that to this day, but I'm very happy about it. And so uh, we were newly married, and I was entering into my senior year, and it was a pretty exciting time, right? You know, the newness of marriage and the endless potential of our whole lives ahead of us. Could you have imagined that this is what it would be? So we lived in married student housing, or student married housing, however you prefer to say that. And it was these three buildings that faced each other. They no longer exist because a tornado destroyed them long after we were gone, fortunately. 
They were in this horseshoe type of configuration and Jeremy and Amber Walla lived in uh, the building next to ours and it was the best deal ever for a new couple because the rent was cheap, utilities were included, and if you didn't mind an occasional glimpse of someone not wearing pants while they tended their fish tank in front of the picture window, <laughs> true story, more than once, it was a safe environment. So one of the things that I was most excited about, and I realize how this is going to sound after I talked about how awesome my wife is, one of the things I was most excited about when I moved in there was having voicemail. You're like, What? Yes, you don't understand. I know it sounds silly, but back then, you didn't have cell phones. If you did, it was this big, and it costed you it cost thousands of dollars, and that was not me. So this was back before mobile phones. So if you wanted to talk with someone, you actually had to call on a phone that was at a location that they would then pick up and speak with you on, right? And so it was great because... I would have this mailbox full of all of these weird messages from my friends, and I had some weird friends. I mean, I already talked about Jeremy and Amber, right? So I had some weird friends, and they would leave these messages, and it was great. I loved it. So I really looked forward to coming home and listening to all those messages. I still have many of them on cassette today, believe it or not. So, of course, we couldn't text. We couldn't email. So if you had something really important to tell somebody, you had to leave a message and then wait for them to respond. And I started thinking as I was preparing for this message about all of the information, like all of the news that we received that way, which is kind of weird. People moving, people coming to town, uh, potential job interviews, someone stranded needing a ride, a friend going through a hard time, even accidents and maybe the death of a loved one, we would find out via voicemail. Of course, we would always get things like Warnings, warnings about changes in plans or places that we needed to be or weather cancellations or something really important related to school perhaps that I might miss if I didn't have voicemail. But here's the thing as I'm thinking about all of these messages, all of the messages, all of the warnings would have been useless if I didn't go home, pick up my phone, dial my four-digit code, and listen. All of the messages are sitting there. They're waiting. They're important. But if I didn't pick up the phone, put in the code, and listen, it would not have mattered what was on voicemail. Warnings are useless if we don't listen. And so at the very beginning of our study, we began with this verse here in Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 2 where he says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. He's like, listen up, universe. I've got a warning for you. The word hear that you see here is a significant word. The word in Hebrew is shema, and if you're a member of this church, that should sound familiar to you because it begins the most important prayer in Judaism. And it comes from here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Hear or Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's 
a prayer that Jesus would have prayed at least once every day. And as a matter of fact, it's the same prayer that Jesus gives us as the greatest commandment, the way that we're supposed to love God completely here in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Like, master, well then tell us, what's the greatest commandment of them all? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But he, he actually prays the Shema. He says, hear And like many Hebrew words, Shema means more than just hear. It seems like there's eight or nine definitions for any one Hebrew word. It's a very rich language. Hebrew, Shema, means more than just hear. It means hear, it means listen, and it means obey. Listen, hear, and obey. When I was a kid, I would love to watch the cheesiest movies that I could find on Saturdays, usually science fiction, back when you didn't have a whole lot of choices on television. Or I would like to watch war movies with my dad a lot of times too, because he was really into those, like Guns of Navarone and stuff like that. But uh, one of the things that often happened in all of these movies across the genre is you would have this team of people and they would get separated from one of their guys or two of their guys, or they'd be stranded somewhere, they'd be on the other side of the world. And they would have to somehow connect with them. And so there would always be this radio or this device or this weird thing in a cave and they would dust it off, you know, and right, all the static and everything. They'd be trying to reach their team and through the static of the transmission, it would be, hello, are you receiving me? Are you receiving me? Right? They would always ask the question, are you receiving me? And that can mean any number of things in these situations. It could be, do you hear what I'm saying? Or do you understand what I'm saying? Or do you believe what I'm saying? Or are you going to act upon what I'm saying? Like if they ended the conversation with, they told them a bunch of stuff and then they asked, are you receiving me? So Isaiah's intro starts with God saying, are you receiving me? Here, are you receiving me? Because what God saw in his people didn't line up with the way that he knew was best for them to live. They enjoyed the status of being his people, but they weren't taking it to heart like it mattered. I love that song that Jeremy led this morning. Just that idea of, do we really get whose presence we're in? And how fortunate we are and Are we just singing another song? Are we just praying another prayer? Are we thinking about who we have the opportunity to address when we do those things? In this case, God's people were not taking it to heart. Some of you may know uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel. He's the pastor of a giant life church, multi-church conglomerate or whatever that would be all over the world. Uh, He's also an author. He's helped a lot of people and he's written some great books. And he's coined this term that he calls Christian atheism, which I'd never heard before. And so most of us know what an atheist is. An atheist is a person who doesn't believe in God or someone who professes not to believe in the existence of God. And of course, Groeschel defines a Christian as someone who professes a belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? So that all makes sense. But a Christian atheist, he says, is someone who professes belief in Jesus Christ, but lives as if he doesn't exist. 
A Christian atheist is someone who professes belief in Jesus Christ but lives as if he doesn't exist. And you know what? Here's what's interesting. This isn't a new problem either. The Apostle Paul was dealing with this very same issue in the New Testament when he wrote to instruct and encourage Timothy on how to lead people. And Titus, or I'm sorry, Titus. And uh, here's what he says. (laughs) That was interesting. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And that's in Titus chapter 1, verse 16. And you can also see there's some other scriptures here too that talk about exactly the same thing. So the point is, from front to back, there's this direct connection uh, in scripture. There's this direct connection to loving God and obedience. Those two things go hand in hand throughout scripture. But here's the thing, and I want to be clear. That's not what saves us, okay? Being obedient, following the rules, all that stuff. That's not what saves us. But it is, scripture tells us, the result of a close relationship with God. I mean, think about this. You know, I have certain friends that when I get around them, they have a very distinctive way of talking. And I might have said this before, but if I'm on the phone with certain people, my wife knows who I'm talking to by the way that I talk, right? It's kind of like all you guys that came out of the hood. And when you go back and then you come back to town, you're still talking like that for a while, right? And I mean that with all the respect in the world, right? You talk like your people. If you're from Arkansas and you move somewhere and then you go back to Arkansas and you come back, you've got the accent. In fact, sometimes I go to Arkansas, I don't even live there and I get the accent, right? Like whoever you're around has, should and does have an impact on the way that you behave, on the way that you look, on how you are. And so the result of this close relationship that God wants so badly to have with us is these things, his nature, his character, a.k.a. obedience, God's not challenging us to do anything other than these are the things that I know are good for you. These are the things that I am. I want you to look like my son. And this, he was like the example of this. So the closer that we draw to God in our daily lives, the more that we live in line with him. And again, it's not about following all the rules. It's about living these lives that are pleasing to him. So the better that we know our heavenly father, the more that we will reflect his heavenly character, right? Guys, God loves each of you so much today. And if you don't hear anything else that I say, I want to make sure that you hear that. God loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you just as you are. He does. And today God's asking, are you receiving me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you believe what I'm saying when you read my words? And are you going to live what I'm saying? And of course, we should listen because we're made for this relationship with our Father. We were created for this. Would you guys bow your hearts with me? Before we pray, what I'd like to do is just read a few statements to you. And as I read each one, I'd like you to consider whether you believe for you, right where you're at today, right now, whether you believe 
that that statement is true or false for you. You don't need to raise your hands or anything like that. Just as I read this statement, I want you to consider whether this is true or false for you. So here's the first one. I believe that God loves everyone, but sometimes I struggle to believe that God loves me. Is that true or false for you? I often feel disconnected from God. I pray when I need help, but I don't routinely spend time with God. True or false for you? I don't feel much need or desire to read the Bible. I sincerely believe in God, but I can't say I prioritize my life around him. True or false for you? My lifestyle, actions, and decisions don't always line up with what I say I believe about God. I don't talk about my faith with people who don't believe in God. I don't experience worship or express praise to God in my daily life. True or false for you? My sense of security is impacted more by how I am doing financially than by how I am doing spiritually. I don't often experience a passionate desire to please God. And true or false, the last one here. It's rare for me to feel completely surrendered to God. Sometimes I'm not even sure I want to be. And if you just keep your heads bowed and consider what your answers were to those questions. And if you answered true to any of these, today is an opportunity for you. Because today can be a turning point in your relationship with God. The Holy One of Israel, the creator of the universe, loves you. He sees your life. He sees your situation. And his desire is to have relationship with you. And today he asks, are you receiving me? Will you receive me? Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to come before you. We thank you for preserving your word, God, so that we could open it today and we could find life. God, I ask for each and every one of us, draw us close to you. Fill our hearts with the flame of your desire and help us in our weakness. We need you. If you agree with that prayer, I just want you to take a moment and make that real between you and God. If there are areas you need to confess or things to surrender or maybe even some of the things that came to mind with the questions I asked, I'm gonna give you just a minute to Pray where you are and make that real between you and the Lord.
God, remind us of your love as we go today. And may your priorities become our priorities. May you order our lives. God, we want to be your people. And we want this year, 2020, to be known as the year that we gave everything we have to you. May you be the most important thing in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>